general secretary of the Chinese Communist Party, Xi Jinping, who has centralized power to a degree not seen since the dictatorship of Mao Zedong, now speaks openly of China moving closer to the center stage, building a socialism that is superior to capitalism, and replacing the American dream with the Chinese solution. China is no longer hiding its strength, nor biding its time. From the perspective of its communist rulers, China's time has arrived. It's, I, I believe we're fully on in a Cold War, just like we were at the Soviet Union. And the Attorney General uh, yesterday and the FBI Director Ray a couple of weeks ago saying they've got an uh, all-parts-of-society effort going on to become the lone superpower by whatever means necessary. Mm-hmm. So that means stealing, killing, whatever they got to do. They're going to be in charge of the world. Absolutely. They're the world's greatest loan shark. They get countries on the hook financially and then dominate them. Uh, They determine policy. They say, uh, you know, we're going to cut you off if you don't uh, comply with this, that, and the other. And they become essentially proxy dictators for these countries they have nothing to do with, including Ethiopia, we're at uh, Dr. Tedros, is that his name, the uh, head of the WHO? Chinese, uh, China has a chokehold on that country right now. And that's why their lackey is in charge of the WHO. Attorney General Barr warned yesterday the Chinese Communist Party has launched an economic blitzkrieg to topple the U.S. as the world's superpower, calling for the free world to join together in a whole-of-society approach against it. How the United States responds to this challenge will have historic implications and will determine whether the United States and its liberal democratic allies will continue to shape their own destiny or whether the CCP and its autocratic tributaries will control the future. It's a battle for the future of the world, just like it was with the Soviet Union. And that is not an exaggeration at all, in my opinion. No, I don't think so. Um, And it's the most important story of the century, without a doubt. Now, uh, that stuff was all on China and for what they're doing. I did like the portion where he went after Hollywood. Yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll read a oh, little bit now you're scratching that. me where I itch. Um, Attorney General William Barr blasted Hollywood for kowtowing to the Chinese Communist Party, all while preaching the need for more social justice. Quoting now, take Hollywood. Hollywood actors, producers, and directors pride themselves on celebrating freedom and the human spirit. But Barr noted that the annual Academy Awards, at the annual Academy Awards, Americans are often lectured about how this country falls short of Hollywood's ideals of social justice. But Hollywood now regularly censors its own movies to appease the Chinese Communist Party, the world's most powerful violator of human rights, which is not even a question. The Attorney General pointed to two films he saw as egregious examples of catering to China. Why do you think he's taken on Hollywood like this? Because, uh... I think he understands that unless the American people understand the threat and the seriousness of the situation, um, there won't be the will to to fight it. And we need pop culture along for the ride. Now, some of the some of you, if you're Trump haters, you, you, you'll say attorney Barr, everything he does is to make Trump happy somehow. But Christopher Ray, the guy who runs the FBI, he doesn't like Trump. Guarantee you. And um, uh, and, and he said the same thing. They both used the phrase whole of society i think that's really interesting i I doubt that's a coincidence Mm -hmm. that uh the fbi director said china has a a, a, all of society effort and that we need and then bar yesterday saying we need to have that right so clearly what you're saying is true it's got to be every aspect 
Well, one of the the key tenets of Chinese uh, philosophy, political philosophy, is the uh, harmonious society, the society where you are all working together for the goal, no matter who you are or, or what you do. And so, yeah, if this is their great goal, everybody from the guy selling wet bats to the farmers <laughs> to the tech guys to, to everybody needs to be in on this. So, yeah, that's probably why they said it. The Attorney General pointed to two films he saw as egregious examples of catering to China. World War Z, the 2013 film starring Brad Pitt about a zombie pandemic. I didn't see that movie. I did. It's pretty good. Really? It's pretty good. The book is great. Okay. Yeah, the movie just it screwed it up like movies often do. The movie re- or Hollywood reportedly removed the reference to the zombie-causing virus having originated in China. Barr said the movie was made in the hope of landing a Chinese dis- distribution deal. Sure. Um, of course. His second example was Marvel's blockbuster Doctor Strange, based on a comic book created by Stan Lee, which changed the comic character Ancient One to a Celtic woman from its original Tibetan monk. We challenged about this, a screenwriter explained, that if you acknowledge that Tibet is a place and that he's Tibetan, you risk alienating a billion people. Or, he continued, the Chinese government might say, we're not going to show your movie because you decided to get political, Barr explained. Yeah. Barr said these were but two examples of how Hollywood films were changed to conform to CCP propaganda. Listen, I'll put my loathing of Hollywood up against anybody's. Bring it. But I will tell you, the idea of kowtowing to the Chinese to make a profit is far from restricted to the entertainment industry. Sure. I mean, we all got high on, on Chinese money to a large extent. I mean, not us, really, but although I suppose indirectly. I mean, if, if uh, Joe's giant tractor uh, multinational is selling lots of tractors to China. Maybe they did buy more advertising on the Armstrong and Getty show. I don't know. But I think we've just we've started to realize, and a lot of us have these experiences through our lives, that person who I knew is awful but was getting me some benefit, money, sex, uh, connection, career, whatever, uh, they're clearly awful, and I need to stop this. Well, that NBA story from earlier in the year. The NBA, yeah. oh yeah, 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 yeah. When they, when they, at least briefly, until they got so much backlash, uh, made it clear that nobody involved in the NBA is allowed to stand up for Hong Kong. Right. Whoa, that's right. frightening. Even as freaking LeBron James is lecturing all of us on what awful people we are. Uh, he went on to say, Barr went on to say, Chinese government censors don't need to say a word because Hollywood is doing their work for them. This is a massive propaganda coup for the Chinese Communist Party. So one of the ways that they have so much influence over the movies is China only allows a a set number of quote-unquote foreign films to be released in their country every year. Right, and Uh, they all have to start Tom Cruise. And they they keep that number very small intentionally. So the way that you are not a quote-unquote foreign film is by allowing a Chinese production company to be part one of the producers on your film. Ah, so. So they get a producer credit, so then they get a say in the editing, and and then they're at the table making these these de- decisions well and telling Movie you tradesmen <laughs> right clint and they're at the table saying hey dudes this will never work this line or this character so you gotta take that yeah and that's why not even just the eliminating or the changing of a, a tibetan monk to a celtic monk things like that but uh like i remember this in the in the black panther movie all of a sudden they just take a trip to china and there's a, a big action set piece set in this beautiful chinese city right like those things are 
kind of propagandist too. Yeah, um, sure. Just showing the uh, a thriving city in China when it's not. It could have been anywhere in the world, but it was specifically set there because of the the Chinese influence on the production. In addition, Barr noted that many Hollywood films are financed by Chinese money. In 2018, films with Chinese investors accounted for 20% of U.S. box office ticket sales. That's something. Compared with only 3.8% five years earlier. Well, is it That's that? quite the growth in a few years, from 3% to 20% in five years. Wow. Of how much Chinese uh, is accounting for... Uh, Investing in the movies. Obviously. Chinese, well, Chinese individuals might have figured out that there's a lot of profit there, but also the Chinese government decided that was a priority. Well, yes. And so, and so, and so Attorney General Barr is trying to make it a priority for us to, to, to not allow them gazillion dollar propaganda wins right and 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 try to let everybody know maybe this will put pressure on hollywood look look how many people are losing their jobs for for just you know barely getting on the wrong side of what's politically correct hollywood's fully in bed with allowing people to make decisions about their product who are they're anti-gay? They're anti. They're they're anti everything. They have slaves. They're pro-slavery, <laughs> for instance. Yeah, and you'll put up with that. Oh my God! Pro-political prisoners, suppressing dissent, the rest of it. You know, it occurs to me. I was probably taught this in college, but I was too stoned to remember it or something. But uh, the most powerful propaganda is not affirmative propaganda. You know, the the beautiful scene in China. Well, I get that. The most powerful propaganda is the suppression of negative information. So if they can just sure, oh, get yeah. Hollywood yeah. just not say anything bad, that's that's a win, you know, by Heck beyond yeah. imagination. Okay, well, like I was saying earlier, we're in a cold war, but I grew up as a kid where the evil villain was always a, a Russian because that was our enemy, or an East German. You don't get that at all with with China. Yeah. And you remember when uh, Grace from Will and Grace was trying to blacklist anybody who was uh, pro-Trump, not allow them to be in any movie or uh, a TV show? Yeah. Uh, how Crazy about, how about blacklisting anybody who's involved with sl- the biggest slave trade on the planet, China? Yeah. How about that, Deborah? You're more bothered by somebody who votes Republican or somebody who who is currently involved in slaveholding? Yeah. Yeah, you got to lower your ideals of freedom if you want to suck on the warm teat of China. I would like to hear that clip on a daily basis, Michael. Seriously. Elevate it to the, the Mount Rushmore of clips. You know what we got to play later this hour again? We have to. Is that uh, the black police officer oh, talking the about the, cop. The, the protesters. Yeah, uh, seriously. That is too good. I, I can't wait to hear it again. And I have a feeling our listeners have the same opinion. It's, it's brilliant and it's powerful. Yeah, we got to get to that. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. A guy who's been an advisor on a couple of major presidential campaigns and uh, teaches at Stanford and is a super smart dude, uh, Lon He Chen, coming up a little bit later. I don't know what we're going to talk to him about, but uh, something. Stuff. I apologize. I was unaware we were coming back as Michael failed to warn me, and I have food in my mouth. You have failed, Michael. <laughs> you will endure a weekend of shame. I told you. I am tempted to unleash a screed about what you're about to hear, but I can't do better than the guy talking. This is a police officer in Portland, 
Oregon, talking about the recent riots, the presence of the hardcore uh, protest crowd, and, and what he has seen as a black man in Portland. It says something when you're at a Black Lives Matter protest, you have more minorities on the police side than you have in a violent crowd, and you have white people screaming at black officers, you have the biggest nose I've ever seen. What was it like in that capacity in the first few weeks when the fence was up around the Justice Center? I got to see folks that really do want change like the rest of us that have been impacted by racism. And then I got to see those people get faded out by people that have no idea what racism is all about. Never experienced racism. They don't even know that the tactics that they are using are the same tactics that were used against my people. And they don't even know, their, they don't even know the history. They don't know what they're saying. Coming from someone who graduated from PSU with a history degree, it's actually frightening. You know, they say if you don't know your history, you repeat it, and watching people do that to other people. A lot of times, someone of color, black, Hispanic, Asian, come up to the fence and directly want to talk to me. Hey, what do you think about George Floyd? What do you think about what happened about this? I go up to the fence. Someone white comes up. F the police. Don't talk to him. That was the most bizarre thing because I could see it coming. I even had a young African-American girl uh, tell me, why is it you guys aren't talking to us? I said, honestly, this is now the 20, I think it was 23rd day of doing it. Every time I try to have a conversation with someone that looks like me, someone white comes up and blocks them and tells them not to talk. And then right when I said that, this white girl popped right in front of her. She said, he just said that was going to happen. I said, straight up. I said, you know, I've been called the N-word. She's been called the N-word. Why are you talking to me this way? Why do you feel that she can't speak for herself to me? Why is it that you feel you need to speak for her when we're having a conversation? Then when you go to a gentrified community, and the first, one of the first pictures I saw, that well, one of the business that was looted was a, a black-owned business. I'm like, they, they, they're not even from here. They don't even know what they're even doing. Sean pointed out that he uses finger quotes when he says gentrified. So you have these radicalized by their professors, young white people, often young women, screeching obscenities and N-bombs and insisting black people can't talk to each other without their white approval as anti-racists. And these people are the most savage, disgusting racists since, you know, 1961, when they're sickened police dogs on marchers. These, these radical anti-racists are the most savage racists I've seen in my lifetime. They make the Klan look like they're bad at their jobs. God, it's astonishing that anybody supports them. Do you think this is a growing thing, or is it... Uh... It's absolutely growing. Whether it's some serious mind twisting craziness, it is. I think there are signs that the seeds of its destruction are starting to grow, um, but it's still growing. There are so many Americans Americans who are only half aware of who these people are. 
that are giving money to Black Lives Matter, the organization, not not knowing that it's a Marxist organization. There are so many corporations that are out of, you know, greed and just virtue signaling saying, yes, we're with the protesters. They have no idea what's happening. They have no idea who they're supporting. God, that was so eloquent and beautifully said. Rewatch it. Or watch it, since you just listened to it. Send it to all of your friends. That video of that gentleman talking is at armstrongandgetty.com. I believe it's under hot links, right? That's where we put that sort of thing. It's Okay, it's on the website. You can see it. It's impossible to miss. Armstrongandgetty.com. Send it to everybody. Love that. God, when, when common sense has an eloquent advocate like that, it gives me hope. And, and hope is the worst thing, because... It's only if you have hope that you can be disappointed. How much time we got, Michael? <clears throat> okay. 30 big, beefy seconds. I don't have time for my uh, screed about how it's like the Cultural Revolution in China, which I never could understand and wrap my head around, but now that I'm seeing it happen in the United States, I have a little better idea. Yeah. Oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. More on that, because uh, I don't want to get in your way. I was going to say, in a related story, Russian cop was testifying against her corrupt bosses. Went ahead and testified, then went home and had a terrible accident. Oh. I'll give you oh, one guess. Dang it. Yeah. Fell out the window. Wow. <laughs> they really need to figure out window safety in Russia, huh? Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. get a Harvard-educated Stanford professor on the line, you want to ask them what it's like inside a shark cano. <laughs> I just saw this up on TV. That's part of Shark Week. Never be seen, see, before seen footage of a shark cano. <laughs> we are devolving as a society. <laughs> I, I suppose I should be, uh, I should feel lucky to be here witnessing a society having peaked, devolving. Mm. Much like a Sharkano, it's a phenomenon not often observed. Lon He Chen, speaking of educated fellers, is the David and Diane Steffi Fellow in American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution and uh, joins us now. Lon He, how are you, sir? I look forward to watching the Sharkano special, actually. Yes. It, my daughter, uh, Lon He, who we've spoken about uh, at least briefly, is a very, very bright and an interesting person, and I love her dearly. She is the biggest Shark Week fan on Earth. And she is here oh, yeah. to tell you it's terrible now. It has completely mm-hmm. lost its luster. Um, it's just, it's awful. So don't bother. So listen, uh, the the president, uh, who's the guy from The Apprentice, as it turns out, is running for re-election. And he just uh, switched the, guys at the, head, the guy at the head of his campaign. And I've been thinking about getting an incumbent re-elected. And... How important the campaign is, really, and and who's been good at it? Do you have any uh, examples of an incumbent who did a nice job of either changing perceptions or really polishing their image, even though we've been watching them for four years? Boy, that's a great question. So in recent memory, if you think back to the 2004 campaign, which was when George W. Bush was running for re-election, that was actually a campaign I was part of. And there's two issues you guys raise. First is the, you know, what does a campaign do when you've got an incumbent, when really a lot of the substance is being driven by the White House? And that coordination is a very difficult dance, as it turns out. And in that 2004 campaign, it was actually done very, very well. 
a guy named Ken Melman was our campaign manager who was very close to Carl Rove, who was President Bush's chief strategist. And they had, you know, very good relationship throughout much of that campaign, good interactions. And so that relationship between the campaign and the, and the White House is important. But your, your bigger and broader question is, well, what do you do to define people's impressions of an incumbent when they're already pretty well defined? And in, in 2004, it was really about focusing the mind on the national security challenges America faced and making that election a national security election. It is very, very difficult to make an election from an economy-centered election, which is what most elections end up being, to one focus on national security. But you have to remember in 04, we were just three years out from 9-11, and a lot of, you know, the Iraq war was, was, uh, was just heating up. So there were a lot of national security issues. And for that campaign to focus people on the national security strengths of President Bush was really, I think, quite an impressive feat. So I'd point to that 04 campaign as a great example. I feel like everything is breaking against Trump, things that are beyond his control, um, and playing against his strengths. Because if he doesn't get to have a convention in front of a roaring crowd or a bunch of uh, campaign events in front of a roaring crowd where he gets to land his lines and everybody laughs and you know he's feeling it and he ad-libs it, if he can't do that, man, that, that really takes away one of his strongest suits in terms of running, doesn't it? Yeah, we're going to have to figure out how nimble that campaign can be if they can't do large-scale campaign events. And I, and I just don't see how that changes between now and, and the middle of the fall, uh, you know, given the coronavirus situation. Now, one of the things they can try to do is to figure out, is there a way to narrow cast the president into the various places they need to be as opposed to doing these big campaign events? Can they have him in smaller settings or settings where they're just beaming into the voters they need to be talking to, they're going to have to be nimble on this one because I just don't see those large-scale campaign events coming back before before October, November, when they need to be. Wow. So, well, yeah. And I'm just I'm thinking not only landing the jokes and the lines and that sort of thing, but when he makes the transition into patriotic themes oh, yeah. and America first right. and all of that, a lot of the energy of that and and his forcefulness comes from the crowd. And if he's yeah. just on a teleprompter saying that, it's just very different. Sure. Yeah, he, he draws a lot of energy and strength from that. I mean, I suppose one thing you could say is that, you know, the, the rallies are definitely his signature thing, but they're also when he's most likely to kind of go, you know, off message or off the rails. And so one advantage to this situation might be that it forces them to be more disciplined with their messaging. You know, we always talk about how I think a lot of in a lot of ways, Trump would be in a much stronger position if he were able to kind of speak more directly to the issues where voters believe he's got some built in strengths, like on the economy, you know, consistently with with a few minor exceptions. You know, some polls recently have suggested there might be some change in this. But a lot of the polling I've seen, people still believe Trump is better equipped to handle the economy. If he spent more of his time and energy thinking about, you know, promoting this economic, how we have an economic comeback, how do we talk about the economy, what's his plan for a second term, I I really do think that his numbers would improve. Now, whether they'd improve enough for him to win the election is a different question, but I think they would improve, and I think that discipline, he could benefit from being in settings that are a little bit more scripted, quite frankly. Juan Hee-Chan is on the line from the Hoover Institution, Stanford. Uh, if you were in charge of the campaign, would you be trying to focus on uh, how good the economy was and how it could be again? Um, or and- scare people. Scare people about the, the unrest in the streets. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think the scaring people about the unrest, you know, that, that only takes you so far. And I think they're, they're you know, we talked about this before. I think some, for some of the suburban moms that left the, the president, left Republicans in 2018, uh, that is a topic that, that they will find attractive. But broadly speaking, I, I still think his strongest theme is this notion that, you know, look, he, cre- he was at the helm when the economy was doing very well. We were hit with this complete calamity, and now he's the one that can bring the American economy back. This sort of great American comeback theme, you know, we've talked about this as well, this idea that, look, Trump, he, he, he isn't a nice guy. He's not somebody who you would think of as a, as a particularly warm and fuzzy character, but he has the toughness needed to get the economy back to where it was. I think those themes are still going to be the ones he needs to come to and, and where he'll be strongest. If Trump loses... And uh, and uh, pundits and yackers and and uh, historians say Donald Trump lost to the coronavirus. Will they be right? Uh, I think that they early, will be but... right. And yeah, no, no. I think I think that they will be right broadly speaking because this has been you know it, this goes into so many dimensions. It goes into a leadership dimension. It goes into a policy dimension. It goes into public health issue. And, and coronavirus is more than just about the virus, right? It's about the economy. It's about people's impressions of Trump as a leader. And it, it is, it, yeah, I think coronavirus is probably the, the explanation for a lot of it. I absolutely, I, the more I think about it, the more I think that's a completely fair assessment. Interesting. Lonnie Chen, Lonnie, it's always informative. We really enjoy these chats. Thanks a million. Yeah, have a great morning. You too. Good to talk. Thanks. Yeah, well, a liberal friend of mine. I don't know when he went sideways, but he did. <laughs> he said to me, I wish I had the date. You know, it might be in a text. It was probably early February, I'm guessing. He said, we finally found something that can beat Trump. It's not a someone, it's a something, the COVID. And I initially thought, well, that's a little insensitive, but I uh, can turn out to be right. Absolutely. But who knows? We, it was funny. We were doing this, um, this little piece of uh, editorial slash humor about the, the insanity of 2020, um, which we'll probably do again next hour, at least part of it. Uh, if you don't get next hour, go to armstrongandgetty.com, grab the podcast when it's posted later. But um, uh, what was my point? It was, it was the insanity of 2020. It was, it was, it was, Your friend it was, went sideways. My friend went sideways as a <laughs> liberals. Uh, that's funny. I can't remember where I was Shark, going with that. Sharknados? No, that's no, not Sharknados. 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 Right. Yeah, Sharknado, ironically, will put out a Sharknado and stop it from erupting. Little known. I can't remember. Is it, is it, is it, oh, as that should teach us. Well, that is the a Sharknado. I'm looking at the footage. That's a Sharkano. I'm picturing sharks being shot out of a volcano. Is that what's actually <laughs> happening behind me? More or less, yes, on okay. the TV screen. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> if the first half of this year taught us anything, it should have taught us the second half of the year has some tricks to play. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen? Right. I mean, I'm, I'm ready for anything up to and including a Sharkano. <laughs> and how he handles it. Right. Right. Up to and including Joe Biden lying in state in the Capitol. As people shuffle by with masks on saying he (laughs) served the country well, he was really a nice fella. You you still are holding out the belief that Biden doesn't live till November 2nd. (laughs) It's possible. (laughs) I know what actuarial tables are. 
I, 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 I read about human yeah. lifespan. I just feel like there, there, there's going to have to be some game-changing moment happen in the next hundred some days to change the direction of the election. I don't know what it would be. A health scare. Uh, I don't know. Something major. But I don't know what it would be. There still is the opportunity for Joe Biden to really go old man. He hasn't the last two uh, speeches he's given at all. No, no. Notable, he also has not taken question, done a Q&A after <clears throat> those speeches either. He kind of wraps it up and closes his speech and walks off the stage. Bingo! So, so he's been on exactly. script for those, mm-hmm. and his old man moments tend to come when he's going off the cuff. Yeah, and he, th- he ought to apologize for that. <laughs> Get his apology train. <laughs> come on, Michael! <laughs> What do we got to do? Tip you? I apologize for that. But I'm going to wrap this chain around your head. (laughs) There we go. You got both of them. How about a (laughs) shark cane? When you get a massive shark swirling around the water in a circular pattern, it's called a shark cane. A shark academic. The sharks team up with the coronavirus. (laughs) I don't think weather phenomenon need to be tied specifically to sharks. We can get like a hippo lanch, a squid quake. <laughs> and then the shark yeah. all at one time. Oh, it's going to be Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. have a lot of extra time on their hands right now and many young people are spending it on TikTok which bothers me. I don't know what TikTok is or how it works. Honestly, until last week, I thought TikTok was a rapper. Hey now. Who what was that? <laughs> That's Sebastian Maniscalco. He's filling in for Jimmy Kimmel the last couple days. Uh, if you want to laugh until your belly hurts, find Sebastian Maniscalco stand up. Oh really? He is great. Really? Okay. I'll check that out. Um, uh, duh, what was I going to say? That joke oh, was terrible. The <laughs> he said tick tock. <laughs> <laughs> the Johnny Depp thought it was a rapper. The Johnny Depp trial continues to be just wild and wacky. So maybe some updates on that later. Uh, I wish I had it in front of me to give credit words to listener who said it's not a defamation trial; it's a defecation trial. <laughs> Did she poop in the bed and end their marriage? That's, right. Yeah, it's a defecation trial. Right. Yeah. It's a sickener. It is a sickener. So maybe you heard that Russia's been accused of hacking the, uh, trying to hack the vaccine information out of a bunch of labs. Britain, U.S., and Canada all joined together and said, hey, Russia, we know you're doing it. Cut it out. And they're so tight now, <laughs> Russia and China, they might be doing it with Chinese help. Yeah, absolutely. God, that's scary. Yeah. Well, there's never been anything more true than the whole the uh, enemy of my enemy is my friend thing. You know, I suppose they do share like a region, uh, China and Russia. They're all uh, cheek bajowl there in Asia. So they ought to be getting along. But the fact that they're friends is just insidious. I'd say. Uh, Pori Hemplo. The other day on their phone call, because they released the transcript, um, she (laughs) praised Putin for uh, managing to stay in office for another, because Putin changed the laws again, and now he's going to be in the office. Constitution. Yeah, he's going to be in. Uh, he's going to be in office till he's like ninety-five or something. Basically, you know, the rest of his life. 
And uh, Putin said back to Xi, and I also admire your ability to, you know, take a strong stance and command control of your great country. So they each praised each other for becoming dictators, for ending elections in their own country, Mm -hmm. to the extent they had elections in China, and uh, now are both dictators. And then release that transcript to the world. Nice job. Back at you. Yeah. Yeah, And release the transcript. That is interesting. A Russian police major uh, testified against her old boss in a criminal extortion case. Yekaterina Mishinka, Mishkina, age 37, was, uh, she testified, uh, talked about the corruption and the extortion and the rest of it, and then she went home and, oh my gosh, it's tragic and amazing. She had a terrible accident and fell out of her window to her death. This is... So just like uh, those doctors a couple of weeks ago that had protested about the corona information saying this isn't accurate, and then three doctors in one weekend fell out windows. Yeah. What's with the window situation there? Are the windows, like, really low to the ground? And lack glass? And I they, guess. like, wax the floors yeah. in front of them? It's just or? saran wrap, so they they lean up against the window thinking they're going to peer right. out or something. They just fall right through. Well, of course, uh, if you know anything about Russian culture, it's a tradition to keep your spare ball bearings right by your window. <laughs> so, that's unbelievable. They throw people out windows in Russia and say, sorry, accident. Yeah. And everybody goes along with it because they don't want to get thrown out a window. Right. You'd be next. That's wild. Yeah. We uh, failed to mention that... Uh, the, this place where she, it happened is 5,000 miles east, east of Moscow. Russia's a very big country. That's a very big country. Yeah. Um, we failed to mention that Iceland has a thing now. They've got loudspeakers hooked up. And you can uh, you can log on to a website, and then you can scream out into the Iceland wilderness <laughs> if you're frustrated by the state of the world currently. Okay, <laughs> I'm not sure that would make They've me feel any better. Set up loudspeakers <laughs> just in the middle of nowhere. Scream out in my own wilderness. Ah, I can't take anymore. Ah! That's what's going on. No, that reminds me. There have been uh, multiple coyote sightings. Judy took a picture of a big old coyote right uh, over our back fence, mm. and mountain lion sightings around where I live. Uh-huh. I'll be, you know, the, the vid's not going to get me. I'll be beset by beasts. Do do coyotes run in packs? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that's her whole thing. Oh, okay. Uh, you know what, uh, Craig, the healthcare guru, uh, sent me an article once. It was one of the most interesting things I've ever seen in my life. Coyotes for whatever reason, have an a, a unprecedented ability to adjust their mating patterns and their reproductive habits based on population density. And places have tried to eradicate coyotes, and they go into reproductive super overdrive and repopulate the area as fast as you can hmm. kill them. And if you leave them alone, they cut back on the reproductive. And it, it's like they're an unkillable virus. That's interesting. There's even things where the when they howl at each other at night, that's kind of like them taking attendance. Right. And if those howls, oh, we're, we're down 10%, then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, they're the, they make more puppies in the next litter. Put on your lingerie. <laughs> yeah, pretty right. much, yeah. They don't hear a bunch of howls, makes them horned up. Now, where I live, I uh, hear coyotes every night. That's just part of the world. But um, uh, my dad pointed out to me as he grew up in rural America that coyotes also have the ability to sound like there's a lot of them. It's a protective thing. Mm. So a few coyotes can sound like a heck of a lot more coyotes. That's another interesting coyote it fact. It is. Yeah. But they're scared of dogs for the most part. So 
If you got dogs, real dogs, they're 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 not. They're not that. scared of cats, though. No, no, no. They'll eat your cat. Oh my golly! Yeah, yeah. I, I keep an eye on the uh, nextdoor.com, mostly for comedic purposes, as old people complain about stuff. <laughs> Um, or trade jokes. And, Old people uh, complaining about stuff. And the number of people who say, I haven't seen pussy in three days. Little Tinkerbell has been gone. She usually comes back every night. I'm thinking somebody's got to tell Grandma Coyote got uh, Tinkerbell, and Tink- Tinkerbell ain't never coming back. Yeah, our, our, one of our uh, cats we've had for quite a while. Well, it was a mean cat. It wasn't a very nice cat, but it pieced out a couple of weeks ago, and I think it was probably Coyotes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Keep it in mind. It's... I'm trying to come up with like uh, we came up with uh, the the Sharkano and the Hippocane and the uh, the Coyote Tornado. No, we've already had a Sharknado, so, so shark... Coyotes can't have that. So Shark Week must start this weekend. I'm seeing all the advertisements. For no, it. don't don't even talk about it. Okay. It's terrible. It's awful. It has become awful. It used to be wonderful, but now it's terrible. They ruined it. Well. It... Mike Tyson's going to fight a shark. Is that part of Shark Week? He's going to yes. fight a shark. Yeah, that's how desperate and stupid That's it's their become. main event this time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Does that not uh, speak volumes? Oh, my God. Yes, it does. That might be a low point in cultural history. I'd rather, be a, I'd rather be a Russian dissident next to a window <laughs> than watch that. Armstrong and Getty.